if you have the time and energy to go and do flips, then you're going to be dealing with different people in different markets, probably than people who are looking for apartment complexes and you know looking for longer term rentals. Not always, but you're, you're going to be dealing with individuals that are very segmented on what they want to invest in. So I would find that out first, what you want to do. And a lot of that is trial and error. You're going to go through. How's everybody doing out there? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. This is the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Anthony Pinto from the Guidepost Investment Group. And today we're talking about two primary topics. We're talking about investing in real estate from overseas and a blue ocean strategy that Anthony and his partners are pursuing right now. The deals are doing right now. And I'm not gonna, not gonna spoil it for you. You gotta tune in and find out what they're doing. Anthony is a naval officer. He's a, he's a submarine officer who is stationed in, in Japan and doing deals in the United States. And just fascinating, he's able to get that done. And I know we have many folks out there who think about, wonder about doing deals outside of their area. There are still, but they're still in the United States. Well, hey, if it can be done from Japan, just think what you can do when you're actually, you know, in the US, it's certainly possible. And then, like I said, we're also talking about the blue ocean strategy that they're pursuing right now. That's that's not a Navy pun. That's that's a name for going after an, an area, a type of strategy that has less competition. There's less, quote, blood in the water. It's a blue ocean strategy. So we're talking about both of those things today. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in apartments and self-storage. If you're interested in learning more and applying to join our Passive Investor Club, for access to passive real estate investment opportunities, go to investwithtaylor.com. Once again, investwithtaylor.com. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please do take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. Genuinely, I truly mean it. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling in my in my tummy here because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. That's what the show is all about. No matter what podcast app you use, if you haven't done so yet, do look us up, the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. That's when we're here. That's when we're doing it, helping you build wealth on Main Street. Once again, our guest is Anthony Pinto. We're talking about investing in the US from overseas. And we're also talking about a blue ocean strategy that he and his partners are pursuing right now. Great stuff. A lot of awesome lessons in this one. Without any further ado, here we go. Anthony, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely, man. I, I appreciate you uh, You having me on here. It's a great intro talk here, so I'm excited to, uh, to get into the guts of the interview today. <laughs> Absolutely. We have a lot of uh, common ground on, on things not necessarily related to real estate, but we don't need to uh, touch on that uh, in this conversation. <laughs> for our listeners out there who don't know about what you uh, do and, and who you are, can you tell us a bit about your background, and then we'll dive into you know what we're going to talk about today. Sure, absolutely. So, uh, name is Anthony Pinto. I'm an active duty submarine officer based in uh, Yokosuka, Japan, right now, uh, which is about two hours south of, of uh, Tokyo. Been here for about a, a year and a half. Have another year and a half before we head back to the states. Mainly involved in multifamily real estate. I guess is the biggest part of my real estate investing. But been involved in uh, Airbnbs and uh, small multifamily, um, single family homes, note lending, and most recently in, in community shopping centers and in retail. Most of my real estate, I guess, success, if you want to call it that, has been in, in last year during COVID. 
So we closed on uh, three large multifamily apartment complexes in 2020, which was a challenge in of itself, but uh, we can kind of chat more about that. But, you know, it's, it's an interesting. Most of my uh, my build up to that was, uh, you know, was building my investor base and, and trying to get my feet under me and gain experience. But it wasn't really until I came to Japan that, you know, I, I really kind of got the traction I needed and found the partners I needed and, and you know, found some success. So happy to dive into that a little bit more, but that's kind of quick and dirty on, on who I am. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you also, you know, jumping on with us early in the morning, your time. Of course, it's evening, my time, but you know, this is, this is the magic of, uh, of the internet. So, you know, we have a few you know, topics, uh, to discuss today because we can first start with, you know, investing from overseas. A lot of folks, you know, even in the U S want to know about, you know, remote real estate investing, cause they might not think the area they live in is, is doable. Well, yours, you're doing it from the other side of the globe. So it's obviously possible. So let's dive into that and learn about, you know, how you go about buying property from the other side of the planet. Sure. So I think it's a couple of things. Uh, one, I think it's it deals with the assets that you're looking at and a lot of kind of factors in that, but also with the partners that you deal with. So first with assets, I mean, if you're going to be dealing, investing from overseas or investing from out of state or even investing from another city over, you need to know that city or that state or that country, like you really like the back of your hand, right? So you obviously aren't able, unless you you know live like you know two minutes away, aren't able to just get up and go and see the property at any given time. And that's kind of the nature of remote investing. So knowing that, you got to look at the other factors uh, when it comes to these properties, when you get them you know, across your email or you know, get a phone call about them or whatever. And most of that comes with, okay, do you know the neighborhood? Do you know the area that you're, you're dealing with here? Do you know roughly what the numbers are going to look like? And does it make sense with what the area looks like or what uh, the neighborhood looks like? And overall, like, do you do you have a sense for um, you know what is needed to make that property into an investment for you? And this obviously is going to depend on you know what what style of investing you want to deal with. You know, if it's an Airbnb or a flip or a long term rental or apartment complex or whatever, right? All of those have their kind of unique factors that you're looking for. But overall, you're gonna first you're gonna need to know what the market looks like, and you need to know what the numbers look like, right? Um, so, for example. You know, we we both have uh, have properties in the Virginia area, uh, mainly mine in Hampton Roads. Knowing what cities are are good cities to invest in, and knowing what cities are not good cities to invest in, make or break you know your investing style. For example, Airbnbs in Hampton Roads have kind of been a, a um, contentious subject uh, for a lot of different cities. So Norfolk tended to be the only city that allowed Airbnbs, and now they kind of shifted their tune and uh, put a lot of restrictions on what you can and can't do with the Airbnb, right? Portsmouth pretty much shut that down. Suffolk is Virginia Beach is pretty much a no. But if you didn't know that, if you're just like, oh, Hampton Roads, you know, has a large military population, you know, the second largest military population in the country. Uh, it's the largest naval base in the world, right? It's a, it's a lot of these different factors going on with it. You think, okay, that's a place where I want to have Airbnb. Well, you may, and you go and buy it. Well, you may be, you know, may be surprised when the local you know ordinances come out and you can't actually have an Airbnb there. So. I think first off, if you're looking at the assets, you need to know that the area that you're investing, you know, you need to know the area, you need to know like what the path of progress is, you need to be able to look at the property and know the numbers, like utilities, even utilities by cities can change, you know, drastically, right? You know, and, and who's paying for utilities, is it going to be the tenant is it going to be the, the landlord that can even depend by by neighborhood. So if you're going to be investing from you know, whether it's overseas or remotely, you really need to know the area, you know, like the back of your hand. And that's also knowing the local laws and all that. Um, secondly, I would say it has to deal with the partners that you find your, yourself dealing with, right? If you're, kind of, if you're the kind of guy that, or, or gal, 
that needs to have a hands-on approach, well, maybe out-of-state investing or you know, out-of-country investing is not for you, right? Uh, I know some people who are like, no, I could, I can never invest, you know, outside of my backyard. Like, I can never invest in a in an asset that I can't see on a regular basis. Like, I can't go visit if something happens. And you know, that's fine. Like, you know, every person has their own own way of of dealing with things and managing things. And you know, and if that's how people want to go about it, then that's how people want to go about it. And just understand that if you live in California. <laughs> That may be difficult to try to find a property that works for you, right? Or in New York City, right? So just keep that in mind that it may not work for for you to be able to try to find a property. Now, granted, there's every market has properties that work. It's just how many how much time and energy you want to put into it to find those types of properties. But ultimately, it comes down to if you want to be an outstate investor, like do you have someone boots on the ground that can kind of go do deal with those emergencies or go you know review the property as needed? But uh, I mean, if you if you have the time and the energy to go visit that property and you know hop on a plane once a quarter and do that, I mean, I think that works just as well. It all just really depends on your on your management style. But for me, like I could I couldn't do this if I didn't have partners on the ground kind of running running these properties, uh, you know, and almost almost living at these properties and and running the larger apartment complexes that we have because uh, there's just there's so the time difference alone makes it untenable to be able to deal with property management on a reasonable amount of time to be able to deal with the you know the daily issues that come up. I mean, we're uh, East Coast time, I'm 13 hours ahead of you guys. So, you know, it makes it it makes it difficult to have these conversations because I'm asleep during you normal know, working hours for you guys and vice versa. So I think having partners is key. And having partners that can deal with a lot of these, you know, boots on the ground things or, you know, fill in any other gaps that you need when investing from out of country, out of state, whatever that is. Okay. So we know the things that we should go for, you know, getting to know the market, having a partner in the market. Now we have to, you know, start with one of those, right? Would you say first identify a market and then look for partners or look for folks that you would be interested in partnering with as your, you know, boots on the ground and then analyze the markets that they're actually in? Like, which way would you go about doing that? Good question. I would actually say there's another step before that. I would, I would figure out what type of investing you want to get into. If you have the time and energy to go and do flips, then you're going to be dealing with different people in different markets, probably than people who are looking for apartment complexes and you know looking for longer term rentals. Not always, but you're, you're going to be dealing with individuals that are very segmented on what they want to invest in. So I would find that out first, what you want to do. And a lot of that is trial and error. You're going to go through, you know, like I said, I've gone through five or six or seven different types of investing over my, you know, three-ish years since I got started. And I wouldn't say one is better than the other. It's just, you go through an evolution, right? Some things work, some make more money than others. Some, you know, are more passive, some are more active. So as I've gone through phases and especially coming out here to Japan, I've figured out what is better for me overall. I would say that's the first step is what type of investing do you want to get involved in? Um, and there's a lot of great resources that you can find to, you know, figure that out for yourself, do the research to figure out what's best for you. You know, bigger pockets, Facebook has a lot. Facebook has hundreds of Facebook groups on real estate investing, you know, local investing, uh, different types of investing. I mean, if you just Google whatever type of investing you want to do, there's hundreds of Facebook groups about it. So I would say that's first. Secondly, I would say the market is probably the, mo the second most important thing, because if you know what market you're going to be investing in, it's easier to say, hey, when you when you go out to these different groups, say, hey, I'm investing in X, Y, and Z markets. Is anyone interested in that? Or is anyone boots on the ground in those markets, right? You may find a partner that you really enjoy working with, but you know they live in you know Alaska and you want to invest in Florida, right? 
So you could probably end up working it out with something with them if they, you know, a really good capital raiser or they are mobile a lot and they can travel a lot to, you know, to go visit these places. But I would say that knowing the market and and knowing where you want to invest is probably the second most important thing. And then from there, you can figure out, okay, you can figure out who you want to partner with and who's local to that market and who actually wants to invest in that market. Because that's another thing. You may find capital raisers that you want to partner with, but they only want to raise capital for properties in Atlanta or in Dallas or in fill in the blank, right? So it, it's 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 kind of putting the car before the horse to find the fine partners before you find your market. And then also, if you find your market, you can kind of dual path looking for third-party contractors and managers, right? You're going to need property managers. You're going to need lenders in that area. You're going to need the lawyers in that area, right? There's a lot of third-party people that you're going to need that are going to be local to that to that area. And once you figure out your market, then you can kind of start figuring out who the best people are for, for those services as well. Okay. I appreciate that. I'm glad that you mentioned about identifying the strategy first very early on. You mentioned flipping. I'm, I'm not a big proponent of flipping for those that are looking for more of a, a passive strategy because it's, it's not one, it's not taxed like a passive strategy. It's taxed mm-hmm. actively. The rates are a lot higher. And also, it's just a very active model. Very few people, very few people who flip manage to turn it into a passive style of business. We've talked with a few of those folks on the show before, but they're the exception. They're not the rule. Now, we also wanted to, to discuss today your, your investing strategy with community shopping centers. And I think especially now, you, know, you hear fewer people pointing us in that direction for, you know, reasons that will be obvious to many listening out there, you know, concerns about the the future of retail or, or storefront or anything like that. But on one hand, okay, that is a concern. On the other hand, this could be a blue ocean strategy because it's not the sexy asset class right now. So that could mean there are opportunities out there that most people are just looking over. So let's dive into it and learn about your community shopping center investing strategy. Sure. Absolutely. I love that you use that phrase, a blue ocean strategy. One of my good friends brought that book up to me when we were first kind of talking about community shopping centers. It's like, oh my gosh, this makes absolute sense. Like, and the book talks about a lot of different industries that, uh, you know, someone stepped out and instead of following the same model as everyone else, took a different approach. And that has really made all the difference to their kind of their trajectory. Uh, One of the um, examples they had was Circus Soleil and how Traditional circuses kind of had the same thing. Like, you know, you had a, you had a big space, you had circus animals, you had clowns, all this stuff. But Circus Soleil kind of took a very different route and brought in like dance and ballet and, and kind of circus evolu- you know, aspects to it and music and made it more of a like a theater performance rather than circus. But anyway, so uh, but yeah, I think I think what you're talking about with with shopping centers is, is very much a blue ocean um, and, and for a number of different reasons. You know, like I said, I've been in multifamily for for a bit, and you know, if if you if you've looked at any multifamily properties in a while, regardless of what market you're dealing in, you kind of you probably have noticed some few things. One is overpriced; it's overcrowded, and and frankly, it's just overworked. You know, it's it's crazy to me when we first brought our properties, and and so we bought three last year. We're about to place, we are about to sell two of them already after really a year and a half, and one only about a year or so, and. It's it's just it, we've done so much to these properties, and still there's people who think that they can buy them and do even more on them, which they probably can, and they can probably leverage some, you know, if they're more professional, you know, organization leverage, you know, some efficiencies to make it better. But for the most part, you're dealing with you know with organizations that are throwing out insane amount of money and insane terms to get these deals under contract. Everyone wants to be in multifamily right now. 
And so for that reason, it just, in my opinion, it, it was very difficult to use my limited amount of time and energy to continue trying to find those types of properties. Right. I mean, we were talking before this, but you know, I really only have two ish hours during the day that I'm awake at the same time as you guys. So that's two ish hours to, to talk with brokers, to talk with investors, to look at properties at the same time as everyone else. Right. So that in trying to do that with you know, with multifamily properties where you where two hours makes all the difference when you're trying to put in an offer, it, it just it's untenable. So you know it's it's very much become a feeding frenzy and, and a red ocean of investing over this past year and a half, um, and really even before that, it was it's, it was very heated um, back then. So you know it kind of stumbled into this idea of you know there has to be something better. There has to be some sort of asset class that you know it, it essentially like I said the blue ocean, um, something that there's a lot less competition that still makes you know really good returns. And you know, we looked at retail and, and like you said, retail it kind of has a bad rep. Um, the investor mentality is very much away from it. And and with good reason, right? I mean, when you think retail, your mind immediately goes to like large shopping centers, large malls that are, you know, pretty much empty. When we went back to the States in July, we went to uh to a mall to go to a department store and like it was empty with the exception of this, of this <laughs> department sad. store. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they're being repurposed for the most part and they're kind of being revitalized and stuff, which is great. But your traditional sense of going to a mall to spend all day in a mall, it's just, it's just not happening. Like back when I was a kid, that was like the thing to do. But now like e-commerce has pretty much destroyed that kind of vision for what a, a mall does or super mall. So that's what people think about. And those have been doing very badly. But within this kind of this asset classes, is it something called a community shopping center? And it's these pockets of shopping centers within neighborhoods, within communities that provide essential services, you know, like coffee shops, like barbershops, uh, hair salons, um, restaurants, things that are essential businesses that people need to go to. Liquor stores, for example. I mean, <laughs> so so these businesses were open during COVID and actually thrived during COVID because people didn't go and, uh, you know, go to retail stores or go out and do all these things. They went, if they had to go out, they went to grocery stores. They went to, you know, buy auto parts. They went to go buy buy liquor. They went to to restaurants to, to do takeout, right? So a lot of these of these places really thrived, even though retail as a whole did not did not do too well. And so uh, within these kind of community shopping centers, you've seen a, a really robust response to to COVID and even after COVID. So why shopping centers overall? Why community shopping centers? Well. Like I said, the herd mentality is very much against it. You have a lot less competition than you're seeing with multifamily. The cap rate is much greater than what you're seeing with multifamily. I mean, we're about to sell one of our properties for, you know, uh, between a four and a five cap and everything kind of shakes out. And we bought it for, I think, like a six cap or six nice. and a half cap. For the shopping center we have in our contract right now, we're, we're buying that for an eight cap right now. Whoa. And it's in, yeah, and that's pretty typical for our area. And again, depends on the area, but. It's pretty typical for, for retail property as a whole. So even on leverage returns, that's 8% on leverage returns. And then once you throw some, you know, a, a loan on that, it just goes up from there, right? You're also dealing with a lot longer leases than typically with multifamily tenants and tenants that are more sticky, I guess I would say, right? You're dealing with business tenants that have a proof of income, right? For, for example, this property we have, half of those tenants have been there for greater than 10 years in the same spot for greater than 10 years versus multifamily where, you know, you put in a lease for maybe a year at most, maybe two years if the tenant's really good. But, you know, you run the risk of having to deal with evictions and all that. But with a with a shopping center, business tenants, they don't pay. You just, you know, throw a lock on the door and, you know, you call it a day, right? A lot less regulation overall. Um, the tenants tend to sell themselves rather than, you know, completely going vacant. 
Um, I mean, like I said, you're dealing with five to 10 year, maybe even 30 year leases. Like I, I saw one property that had a Jiffy Lube that had a 30 year lease wow. on it. You know, and overall it's, it's a lot easier management, a lot less turnover costs. And, and you're dealing with triple net leases rather than, you know, a, a lease with a, with a, uh, multifamily tenant. So that's, that's really why, why we're dealing with shopping centers. It's, it's very much a blue ocean of opportunity and it's, we're just kind of trying to break into something that makes more sense from an investing standpoint and, and, and frankly gets better returns um, than what you're, what you would find with, with multifamily right now. Um, and overall, I think it's a lot less, it's a lot less risky as well. I mean, you're, you're dealing with, uh, you know, cancel rent movements across the country. You're dealing with, you know, we, one of our properties, we haven't, we haven't got, um, you know, state rental assistance back in about nine months that we're still wow. dealing with that we put in pretty much at the beginning of the year. Right. Um, so, I don't see anticipate that improving anytime soon. So especially with with their you know with the current government structure we have, um, so that's kind of a spiel for community shopping centers. But it's it's kind of the best of all worlds, you know, and, and not a lot of people know about it. So you know, like Warren Buffett's quote: "Be greedy when others are fearful." Well, we're we're uh, dealing with uh, what being others are fearful, and so we're trying to be as greedy as possible with these community shopping centers. Nice, and I really appreciate how you. You pointed this out. You you delineated between the giant, you know, sadly dying shopping malls that many are being repurposed, but also many are not, compared to the assets that you're going for, which sound like they're smaller, they're more targeted, they're specialty, I suppose, if you will. It's not like a, you know, I worked at a Sears in high school, so my mind goes to to you know Sears and J.C. Penney and all that. So okay, interesting, and and I. I'd imagine there's a lot of uh, potential for those specialty shops and and things like that. Breweries maybe are pretty popular now. So 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 that's actually a really good point. So you know, with multifamily, there's for how to overall improve the NOI on the property, right? I mean, you increase rents um, or have some sort of fee structure, but that's it's kind of limited in what you can add a fee onto, depending on what type of property it is. I mean, you obviously can't have a pool fee or all these extra fees if you have a Class D property, right? And you don't have a pool. Right. And there's only so much that you can do to add fees before people don't want to live there or you can lower expenses. But again, there's only so much you can do to lower that before you have to meet some sort of bottom line. But, you know, with these triple net leases that we're dealing with with shopping centers, there's so many different creative ways that you can improve the bottom line on these properties. So, for example, uh, we have an 8000 square foot uh, space that's that's filled by a retailer right now and their lease is about to expire. And so we're looking at that space and, uh, you know, there's four or five different doors that uh, that you know, they basically took the space and made it into one big space. So we can break that space up into four or five different tenants. Again, we can break it up into two or three different tenants. I mean, we can, we can put a number of different things into that spot. And not only that, but it's currently about a third of what market rent is right now for, for that area, for that space. So that, I mean, that's one option just for that space. We have another, another space that's currently vacant. There's a large uh, parking space that's not really being used kind of in the corner of, of the uh, shopping center. You can put a pad space there and put a, a whole, you know, a whole bunch of new stores there alone. You know, there's a pizza place that you could put in a, a drive-through there and maybe put in some sort of, of Starbucks down the road or a coffee shop down the road. Right. I mean, there's so many different creative ways that you can make make this work um, with these shopping centers. Um, not only that, but with the way that you structure these leases. I mean, you can have them be five years, you can have them be 10 years, you can have them be a certain rent increase every year. You can have them, uh, I mean, you can really be as creative as you want. And that's just on the income generating side. On the expense reducing side, 
I mean, we're typically dealing with expenses on triple net leases that are about 20 to 25% of the income. And that's not including the fact that most of the time you're getting between 50 to 100% recovery rate on that. So most of the expenses you have are being put back onto the tenants. Um, right now, the property uh, we have under contract is about 70% of recoverables, and the plan is to get it up to about 95%. So essentially, if we have 150000 in expenses, you know, 150 of that is being covered by the tenant. So really, you only have about $5,000 in expenses when it comes down to it, right? And that's kind of the power of these of these triple net leases in, in, in you know, community shopping centers. So you, you know, you, you improve the recoverables rate, you improve the income overall, you reduce your expenses, and that all goes into increasing the bottom line, increase the NOI, and ultimately increasing the value of cash flow. So it, it's very hard pressed to get to that level of recoverables uh, with multifamily, much less to, to be able to have as creative options as you will uh, to increase the income. Wow, I love that. It sounds like so much opportunity, so many smart ways to create value. Right now, we're gonna take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called Ground Floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Anthony, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? All right, let's do it. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Uh, all right. Best investment I ever made. So um, I joined a, a mastermind group, gosh, a year and a half ago, pretty much when COVID started. And uh, one of the guys I met in that, uh, his name's Ian. He's now my life coach. And, you know, when I first started talking with him, I was like, you know, like, why do I need a life coach? Like, who is this guy? Like, what is he going to help me with? And the more I got talking to him and the more I realized that you know, I think we focus a lot on masterminds being very focused on business and less so on, you know, on our relationships, on on love and on our mental health and on our emotional health and all these other things. And so Ian really kind of helped me focus in, and look at everything in my life outside of business, everything out in my life outside of work. And so since ever since working with him, you know, I've improved my relationship with my wife. I've improved my relationship with with my family back home, my health, my mental health and my emotional health. And it's been a, an amazing investment that I never thought would be worth it overall, because I think, you know, a, a lot of that is very um, get quick rich schemes, like kind of uh, like scammy or, or guru-y kind of in a way. Sure. But I mean, it, it was very purposeful in what we talked about and how we kind of improved my life outside of business. So. Best investment, I would say, by far, so far. 
Nice. I, I appreciate that. I think we see a lot of folks in this space, especially on the more active real estate investing side who who kind of, I don't know, forget that that life is short and, hey, I'm just going to only focus on this business, which it's great to be focused on what you're you're working on. But, hey, take care of yourself, take care of your family, take care of the people around you, and you're going to be so much more satisfied and, and fulfilled as you build that business or, or do whatever you're going to do. So I love that. Appreciate that. We had the Absolutely. best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Worst investment. So I got a couple. I would go, I'm <laughs> going to go with the first one. So my, <laughs> my very first multifamily deal, uh, tried taking down was in July of 2019. I just gotten started with like researching multifamily and I thought I had it all figured out. And so I had this property under contract in uh, Kansas City. It was 34 unit. Well, I had nothing figured out on it and went to the property and realized I would have had to put more into it than the property was worth to, to get it back to, to really to make it profitable. And so I ended up backing out on the contract and I lost really my business, my travel expenses there to it. So, you know, not too much money, but I realized that I didn't have, I was trying to syndicate it. So I didn't have any investors ready to go for it. I didn't have any boots on the ground people. I didn't have, you know, net worth, liquidity. I didn't have any of that. I didn't have any asset management experience. Like I literally didn't have anything he would need to take down this deal, except an ego. And so, you know, luckily I only, you know, lost a little bit of money off on that, but it was probably the worst experience, the worst investment I had. But ultimately it turned into a, an amazing experience because I realized that shit, like I can't do this by myself. <laughs> and so I need to go find people to partner with that, especially coming here to Japan, you need to find people to partner with that can fill a lot of these gaps that I was missing in. So Long story short, it led to uh, to partnerships that then led to our other three multifamily deals. But if I didn't have that first experience, gosh, who knows you know, what my ego would have led me into, you know, to even lose even more money on, on further properties. But I would say that's the worst, worst investment I've had. Nice. Well, I appreciate that. You know, this, this idea of get the deal and the money will follow is just complete nonsense in my experience. You got to set the foundation before you, you know, build the building. So, you know, important lesson to learn. Absolutely. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Most important. So again, I think it comes down to to partnerships. I think I've talked a lot about this this episode, but I would say that a lot of people build partnerships based off of uh, the gaps that they need filled um, rather than the, and that really, that's a good, that's a good question to, to ask and try to figure out, but also it should really kind of be a tertiary question to a couple other questions. And the first question I would say is, does this individual align with my values and principles? Because at the end of the day, you're going to be married to this individual financially, potentially for a long time, right? The the length of this investment, right? And potentially even longer than that. So, you know, just like you're going to be dating this individual, you need to, to understand if your values and principles align with them and how you do business with them. Because once you get into business with them, your reputation is, is essentially tied to their reputation until you get done working with them, Right. So the things that they do, the things that they say, how they deal with investors, if you're doing a syndication, really reflects on you. So I would say you need to figure out what their values and principles are first. And then I would say you need to really figure out what your you need figure out what your expectations are as a second question for each other, right? Even outside of the of the filling the gaps on, on you know what what needs to happen is what are your expectations, right? Do you expect this guy to spend a lot of time? Do you expect this guy just to bring capital? Do you expect this guy to go visit these properties? every day or every quarter or something like that. In my experience has been one of the biggest issues that I've had with partnerships is everyone thinks that they're on the same understanding and the same playing field and the same level. 
until you get into an issue and it's like, oh, well, I expect you to do this or I assumed you're going to do that. And you had never talked about it. So I'd say second second question is you need to understand the expectations for what what your partners are going to be doing with each other. Um, and then thirdly, I would say what what gaps do those individuals fill, right? Are they a capital raiser? Do they have asset management experience? Are they boots on the ground? Can they deal with investor relations? Uh, are they really good at financials? Are they a CPA and can deal with the you know the financial uh, management, all of that? Um, there's obviously a lot more more GP side uh, things aside from that, but um, those are the three questions I would ask, and and you know, there's been the most important lesson for me because I've I've had partnerships that have gone well, I've had partnerships that have not gone well, I've made money and I've lost money, uh, more so lost money, but you know, it's been a good learning experience overall, and I think that's that's really where you kind of grow is, is in the partnerships that you're making and, and losing money. So, kind of a long-winded answer to your question, but that's my important lesson there. Yeah, hey, that's totally fine. I appreciate you joining us today and bringing us lessons from investing from overseas to this blue ocean strategy you're using right now with community shopping center investing. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch or or learn more about what you're up to or any of that great stuff, where can they track you down? Absolutely. So you can always reach out to me on Facebook, Anthony Pinto. Um, Also on LinkedIn, Anthony Pinto Shopping Investor. Uh, you can also send me an email at anthony at guidepostinvestmentgroup.com um, or you can check out our, our website at guidepostinvestmentgroup.com. Uh, there you'll see a sample deal package of uh, you know our, our property you have under contract now and what that looks like, you know what the returns look like in the business plan and all of that. Um, also happy to chat more about you know this idea of community shopping centers, whether you're interested as a passive investor or as an active investor. Happy to chat either way. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast algorithm ecosystem thing. And I'm always honest with you guys. It gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please do share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Don't forget to subscribe. That way you'll catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, helping you escape the Wall Street casino. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.